Welcome to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one, one chapter, chapter at, at a time. With Pod Power, our sponsors are making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. This episode, the Edmonton Community Foundation is helping us to give a Pod Power shout out to Overdue Finds, an Edmonton Public Library podcast. Bryce Crittenden and Carolyn Land host conversations about books, movies, music, pop culture, and other interesting news about Edmonton. It's a great way to learn more about what's happening at EPL and about how you can use your library card to access all of EPL's in-person and online services. To listen and find out more about Overdue finds head to epl.ca slash podcast valentine's day has come and gone uh, as of recording valentine's day was yesterday indeed lots as of, of listening valentine's day was earlier this week <laughs> yeah uh lots of chocolates and cards passed around romantic rendezvous occurred i'm sure oh probably not really with us. Not not around here. <laughs> now, Nita sounds disappointed, but the fact is, we have never really celebrated Valentine's Day. <sighs> Valentine's Day has never been a holiday that I cared about all that much. Well, Coupled or no? Further to that, we started dating in, like, early mid-February. Yeah, way, way, way back when. And we would celebrate our date anniversary prior to being wed. Yeah. Around Valentine's Day. So it was just like, well, there's no point in doing Valentine's Day, because we'll go on a date and do something yeah, we'll, in February anyway. We'll, we'll mark our date-aversary because our, our date-aversary is February 10th, right? So we mark our date-aversary instead of Valentine's Day. So Valentine's Day just became a, I don't know, not big deal. At <laughs> least for here. us, yeah. I mean, the, the kids still got some chocolates and... Oh, yeah. Our son came home from kindergarten with loot bags. Yeah. Full of... Uh, he got like a cool little coloring sheet and lollipops and chocolates and candies and cards and like little foldem valentines and like proper cards and envelopes. Yeah. Like it was like a little mini Halloween haul. It was <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah, but it was it was nice to see. Yeah. That he got to have some fun with it. Even if mom and dad are just like me. I appreciate that Valentine's Day has kind of evolved into a not so much for romantic love, but it's it's evolved into expressing all kinds of love. It's a day to remind the people in your life that you love them. Yeah, I, I mean, I think most people still equate it with being romantic and having romantic undertones, but... Undertones? More, well, overtones. <laughs> Strong overtones. But more and more in the last couple of years, I have certainly used Valentine's Day as an opportunity to tell the people I love that I love them. Because... Yeah. We should normalize more in our culture, I feel, telling the people you love that you love them. Whether yes. whether they are friends, whether they are family, tell them, hey, I love you. Yeah, I think it's great. And as I do at the end of every episode of the podcast, at least pretty much since the pandemic started, we love you too, listener. Yeah. yeah. We might not know you personally, but we care about you and your well-being. Yeah. We appreciate that you give us a little bit of your time and... We think highly of you. We believe in you. <laughs> we do. And so, a little early in the episode, I'm going to say right now, happy Valentine's Day, slightly belated, hmm. and we love you. 
We do. Yeah. Ditto. That is a joke for a very select group of people. There you go. A little bit of uh, love talk going on in our book as well, as Jebby has had some deepening and conflicted emotions regarding a certain duelist prime. Yes. And then monkey wrenches get thrown into gears yeah, dealing but we're, with relationships. We'll talk about it. We're we'll talk. possibly getting ahead of ourselves. A, a brief recap, however, of our previous chapter. Yes. In which Jebby and Vey fly to a rebel stronghold where they are introduced to a rebel named Han who debriefs them eh. and then introduces them to the actual rebel leader, someone named Bung Sunga. We may have heard of her. Who uh, makes it pretty clear that patriotism far more important than family to at least one person in that family and uh, has also cut a deal with a certain metal dragon to assist in some lightning strikes against the Razani Empire in an effort to enact a plan to maybe get them to uh, go away <laughs> and leave Huaguk to its own devices. And that leads us pretty much directly into chapter 17 of Phoenix Extravagant by Yoon Ha Lee. Uh, the chapter actually begins with them being hustled off to a new rebel camp. The assumption being that the Razani are probably on the lookout for Arazi, and so it's much safer to pack up and move somewhere else at this juncture. Yeah, and so this they... one's uh, bigger. I got, I got yeah. like strong, like fortress vibes. Yeah, this isn't a little recruitment camp. This is more like a an actual stronghold. Yeah, pointed Jebby... sticks and such. Indeed, Jebby even notices the the palisades and is like, I don't think that's going to stop Automata. And Vey kind of gives them a little basic fortification lesson, lesson <laughs> uh, where it's like, well, it's not really meant to stop them so much as like the easy path is to go through the door. You're trying to funnel people through a, a chokehold. Yeah, it's it's more of a deterrent than an actual barrier. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, any determined army can go through a wall. It's just easier to not go through the wall. Yeah. <laughs> Look, there is a path of least resistance. Yeah. They get hustled inside, and this is where Jebby is introduced to another new character, a person by the name of Red, who is also implied to be a mucky muck in the resistance. Uh, yes. There's this, like, air of authority about them. Uh, and they seem to be more or less co-equal with Bong Sunga. It appears that way anyway, yeah. Yeah. The reason Red stands out is that Red is a Westerner. And quite probably the first Westerner Jebby's ever seen. So Jebby just like stares slack jawed at this giant with flowing locks of red hair. Yeah, this this mess of curly. Well, we call it red, and I appreciate how red calls out their own hair. Yeah, <laughs> Jebby's artist eye is like that's not red, that's orange, and red is legit. Like yeah, but in Western culture, it's called a red. So we, I just roll with it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, where I'm from, it's called red. <laughs> Even though, like, palette-wise, it's actually an orange. Well, a fun fact, and I mean, fairly common knowledge, so I'm probably not blowing anyone's mind here, but there used to not be a name for the color orange. Orange was called red. Yeah. It was just a hue of red. That's why red robins, with their orange bellies, are called red robins. It was only after the orange... <laughs> Yes, the fruit, the fruit was discovered that people started referring to that particular hue as orange. Yeah, because oranges were orange. Yeah. And so to describe that particular shade, people would refer to the fruit, and then that just became its own color. Yeah, the color is actually named after the fruit. Yeah. Uh, I read recently 
semi-recently, and I'm, I've put myself on the spot. This is off the top of my head, so I, I cannot cite my source. But there are uh, places in the world where green and blue are kind of in the same boat as red and orange used to be. There's no real conception of the color blue. It's just seen as a hue of green. Oh. And so, like, they would describe the sky as green. It's just that's the shade of green that it is because they have no conception of the color blue. Not that they can't see it, but it's the exact same thing from just a different part of the color spectrum. They just don't have a word for it. Yeah. Also, red and purple have a similar problem historically. Like, red onions are not red. No, they're purple. They're purple. Yeah. But that was, they were named before we had purple. Yeah. As a as a word, yeah, <laughs> like the colors always existed, obviously. Uh, yeah, yes, but the we didn't have the the word purple at the time to describe that color. So red onions are red onions, even though they are purple. Yeah, we are off topic. <laughs> no, but it's it's interesting history. Uh, just that, like your your conception of something is very much informed by the language that you have to describe it, and if you lack the language to describe a thing. It makes it harder to fully conceptualize it. Yeah. And that was the case with the color wheel for a very long time. I mean, now we've got our puces and our indigos and our ultraviolets. Like, it's, <laughs> we, we have words for every shade and hue of color. But that wasn't always the case. And that's just interesting to note. And it did come up in this conversation. Because as Red points out, yeah, it's orange. An artist would, of course, know that. Yeah. And, of course, Jebby thinks in... Like in art. In, in art, right? That is that is Jebby's whole... That is how Jebby perceives their whole world. Yeah. Right? Everything is is art and detail and color and line and... Yeah. Like, Jebby at one point... And this is getting a little ahead of ourselves in the chapter when they're, they're flying to the mission. Actually has to kind of take a step out of their own brain for a minute hmm. to try to conceive the world from a strategic eye, from a, a military perspective as opposed to an art perspective, and has great difficulty doing it. Because they're so used to looking for shapes and beauty and color that to look at something tactically yeah. is so very different. That feels to me like the other end of the, pardon the phrase, brain spectrum, right? Red basically lays out that, more or less, they're getting ready to immediately launch their first raid. And there are a couple things to kind of break down here. First of all, they're not going to target strong points. They know that Razani fortifications are going to be hard to hit. Mm -hmm. They're going to be expecting that the rebels might do something with this dragon that just fell into their hands. So instead, they're going to go after some softer targets. And the targets they've picked are looters, basically. The people who are moving around archaeological sites, digging up stuff that is getting broken down for pigments by armor. Yeah. These are less guarded because they don't want to attract a lot of attention, but hitting them will still disrupt armor's plans because then they're they're not getting the materials they need to make pigments. Number two, Jebby and Vey are going to be sent on the mission. And it's very clear from Vey, right from Hop, this is a loyalty test. Like this is to see if you're if you're committed to fighting on our side. Absolutely no one is being subtle about this point. No. At all. Uh, Jebby doesn't quite grasp it immediately. <laughs> But Vey is right on board. Okay, I see what's going on here. Jebby's also like, I'm not a fighter. And Red is like, I beg to differ because you collapsed a palace on armor <laughs> and killed a lot of people. And this is a horrifying moment of realization to Jebby that they may have- Hurt uh, somebody. Well, condemned a bunch of 
what they would consider largely innocent people working in armor. Mm -hmm. Like the other artists, for example, who are admittedly collaborators and would certainly be framed as that by the rebellion, but are just people trying to get by. Or the servants. I was going to say, what about all the other uh, underlings, for lack of a better word? The... The cleaners, the cooks, the servers, the all yeah. of those other people. Who are who... probably just doing the job to get the money to support their families might have all been killed. Yeah. This is a horrifying moment of realization for Jebby. This is also a realization that for Jebby, to a certain extent, that the rebellion is willing to weaponize them. Like, they might not be able to weaponize Arazi. They're going to weaponize Jebby instead. Jebby did accidentally invent battle art. Yeah. And the rebellion is immediately like, okay, we'll use that. We don't care that you're a squishy artist who has no combat experience. Get ready to go into combat. (laughs) This goes about as well as can be expected, getting a little ahead of ourselves. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, let's stop getting ahead of ourselves and get to it. And lastly, we discover that Bongsunga has perhaps moved beyond Chia somewhat. Because at one point, a little frustrated with being talked to like a teenager, something we actually discussed last chapter. Yes. Uh, Jebby calls out Red like, why do people trust you? Does Bong Sunga trust you? And Bong Sunga gives Red the look that uh, previously was kind of only reserved for Gia. And Jebby's like, oh, okay, I see what's going on here. <laughs> at last, Jebby picks up something on their own. Yeah. With all this kind of preamble, they get almost immediately resaddled onto Arazi and go off with this strike force. Red comes with them, obviously leading this task unit, and they launch their attack. Yeah. <laughs> and it goes about as well as one can expect. Uh, yep. <laughs> Where Jebby falls off of Arazi, either sprains or breaks their ankle. Yep. We're not sure. Uh, distracts like, basically Vey. lands face first in yep. the dirt. Distracts Vey in a critical moment, allowing Vey to get injured. Yep, good times. And then uh, fails to actually do anything because they seize up and panic in, in the chaos. Yep. Which is what one would expect from a squishy artist with no combat experience. Yes. <laughs> and people get hurt and people get killed. Yeah. Uh, Vey takes an arrow to the shoulder. Jebby's horrified. And is like, oh, God, Vey is dead, and Vey is not. Vey, and Vey is, is not. largely fine, and is ambidextrous enough that this doesn't really slow Vey down. Yeah, I was going to say, she gets hit in her right shoulder, which means she now has to sword left-handed, which I assume, based on how it was talked about, is not her dominant side. But she's actually fine. Yeah. She's not dead. Um, Jebby kind of thinks, oh, it's weird that... She didn't pull the arrow out and like throw it at someone or something like you see, like you you read about in the stories. Yeah, that, no, that is a, medically that's probably a very terrible idea. And Vey is an experienced war veteran. Yes. Probably knows what to do when you get arrowed. I would hope. Yeah. Someone, one gets the impression perhaps the leader of this archaeological expedition, then starts shouting for people to stop killing each other and comes running up to Vey in an effort to like parlay and Vey honed and in combat mode just like chops that person's head off and that was hack ha ha our friend from the beginning yeah our friend quote unquote yeah, from the well beginning. yeah friend in quotes for sure and jebby is horrified that this has happened and that's kind of where the chapter ends actually yeah with with, with vey killing hack vey killing hack and jebby's going but i knew her She was my friend. But was she? I don't know. Because this is what we kind of discussed a little bit yesterday 
off mic. Hack is a collaborator, first and foremost. Well, we knew that from the beginning. Like all the way deep collaborator with the Rosani. Hack has been digging up Hwagugan treasures and knowingly handing them over to the Rosani to be broken down. Yeah, like important cultural pieces. Yeah. Number two, Hack did have a role in getting Jebby entrapped by armor. Yeah. Like Hack early on introduced Jebby to a person from armor. Uh, before Jebby got picked up by going to Armor and kind of roped into things, which means that Hack was at least aware that Armor wanted Jebby and was willing to help get Jebby into Armor's hands. So is Hack really Jebby's friend or is Hack a brazen opportunist? Uh, possibly both. Probably more one than the other. Yeah. I'm going to say that I'm not surprised Hack came to a bad end. <laughs> we'll put it that way. Yeah, I'm not all that surprised either. And while it sucks that Jebby is emotionally distraught by this, I'm not surprised. Yeah. And I I think that maybe Jebby cared about Hack more than Hack reciprocated. We'll put it that way. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. So so that that will be some complicated stuff to untangle. <laughs> because because now Vey has killed someone close to Bongsunga and someone that Jebby liked. Hooray. But under similar circumstances in the heat of battle. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know where that's going to lead. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah. So plot-wise, this chapter didn't move the story all that far. Not really, no. Which means that we spent a lot of time with our characters. Yeah. This was a good character This was a, a character beat chapter for sure, yeah. So I did a little... It wasn't so much armchair psychology as just stuff I wrote down in my notes as it went through my head. Jebby and Vey are taken into this fortress... They meet Red, and they have this whole conversation, sort of, the four of them. Mostly, it's Jebby being real cranky. I was trying to parse out why Jebby was so cranky. I I could wager a guess. Well, I wrote down a number of things. Honestly, I should have gone into psychology because I find this kind of stuff utterly fascinating. It's probably a happy mix of all of the above, but are they mad that Bongsunga never talked about being part of the rebellion and inadvertently or no kept Jebby at arm's length. I'd be mad if I found out that my sibling was... To be fair, in the last 24 hours, a lot has been dumped on Jebby. Oh yeah, absolutely. Is it because of how Bongsunga is currently treating Jebby? Coldly. Coldly, And right? utilitarianly. When they used to have this... this warmer at least sibling relationship is it because that jebby is so very out of their element like they are an artist this is not this is not where they belong and and is it possibly just because this has been the most stressful day of their life and their nerves can't take it anymore they're not better yet right it's been what a day since they've had that horrible fever yep and they've been sent into combat they're still Injured from being recently beaten. Yep. New injuries nonwithstanding, because the the new injury happens after all this conversation. Like, Jebby's just in a real rough way. Yeah, the decision to send Jebby into this combat situation was both short-sighted and foolhardy, I would say. It was was a bad misstep by the rebels. I get that they want to see this battle art in action. I get that. And I get that they want to test Jebby's loyalty. But at the same time, Jebby is not a trained combatant, is under a lot of stress, is currently... Unwell. Unwell. 
this was a a tactical misstep by this rebellion to use Jebby in this way at this time. Maybe in like a month when Jebby has recovered and maybe received a little bit of basic training, we can revisit that decision. But right now in this moment, sending Jebby out like that day after being picked up, that was a tactical blunder. I, sending I, out Arazi immediately, fine. Arazi's cool with it. Yeah, but Arazi's also fine. Has sending, taken no damage. Sending Vey out right away, fine. Vey is a skilled and trained combat operator. But sending out Jebby was a mistake. Yeah. I can see how the Rebellion would feel their hands were tied with that, though. They don't get Vey without Jebby. Vey's made that pretty clear. They need to know that these two or three, if you count Arazi, new members are going to be loyal they need to see what Jebby can do. They kind of had to force them into it. But at the same time, again... Oh, worst possible time to do it. I agree. Yeah, the, like, there's there's a time and a place to send someone out on their first mission. And less than 24 hours after they, injured and ill, come stumbling into your camp with no combat training whatsoever is not that time. <laughs> I agree. And there would probably be other ways to test their loyalty. And indeed, a good way to test Vey's loyalty would still be to send them out in the field immediately. But I see where you're coming from. And further to that, I mean, Jebby agrees to go on the mission partly because they assume that they can hang back. And then when they actually get into the thick of things, they realize, oh, no, we're right in the middle of everything. Like, we've been landed right smack dab in the middle. I feel like maybe there's a little bit of failure on both sides there because Jebby could have asked more details about what the mission would entail. And B, Jebby doesn't know to do that. The rebels could also have filled them in a little bit more. Like, yeah, okay, need to know information because you don't want to risk that they're going to leak anything. But if the mission's going to be leaving in 10 minutes, you can still fill them in. Who are they going to tell? Like, (laughs) right? I. This whole thing just seems a little messy. And they just about lost Jebby because of it. Almost. Jebby could have died in this situation. So. Yeah, maybe. And then they don't have their, their nuke anymore. No. And they've lost Vey's loyalty. Because if Jebby dies, Vey's not sticking around. Huh. So, tactical <laughs> blunder. Big Little, tactical blunder. I feel like Jebby and Bongsunga are either just going to have it out and have an all-out screaming match, or they're going to sit down and finally have an honest heart-to-heart, the one they should have had. Oh, nine years ago? Yeah. There, maybe not 10, maybe nine. There needs to be some catharsis in that relationship one way or the other. And let's be honest, it'll probably be both. It'll probably be the angry screaming match that eventually, hopefully, resolves in a sincere heart-to-heart where they finally look at each other as adults, right? Like, I hope that's where this goes. Otherwise, it's a tragic story of a family broken. And I think, I mean... I'm not a psychologist, but I think uh, that they really need to, like, work some stuff out and try to view each other as adult siblings. Yes. And, yeah, because Bongsunga's really upset that Jebby went out and tried to have their own life, one that they disagreed with. But Bongsunga was leading a double life this whole time that they were keeping from Jebby. So there is some hypocrisy tied up in that. But how much of it was Bonsunga keeping things from Jebby, and how much of it was Jebby simply being very naive? We don't know. We kind of reevaluated that last chapter, and I think we settled on both. Right? Kind of both. Bonsunga could have been more on the nose, 
And Jebby could have been more observant, but they were so, at that juncture, they had drifted so far apart, be, partly because of Gia's death, that they weren't talking to one another. And they're still not talking to one another. They're talking at each other. Yeah. But they're not talking to one another. Exactly. And that continues in this chapter. And that's been the case since the beginning of the book. Mm-hmm. And you're absolutely right. They need to have some catharsis in this relationship in order to move on. Yeah. And they do need to start looking at each other as co-adults as opposed to the the pre-existing and deeply broken family dynamic. Yeah. I'm very smart. Yes. But with that said, we'll have to wait and see if some of that maybe happens next chapter. That'll be chapter 18, which you'll want to read up on in time for next week. Yes. Uh, in the meantime... Nothing about schools really happens in this chapter, so <laughs> I don't have as great a segue. But the Edmonton Public School Board here in Edmonton uh, is currently offering virtual open houses in order for people to get a little bit more information about where they might like to send themselves or their children to school. Get ready to take the guesswork out of choosing a school. Go to an Edmonton Public Schools virtual open house. Ask your questions to learn about their schools and programs, and find the one that feels right. All from the comfort of home. Find virtual event dates and learn how to make the most out of your online visit at openhouse.epsb.ca. Know before you go and feel confident and excited when you get there. Edmonton Public School Board. A lot of schools offer open houses, even if you're uh, a little further afield, say in Calgary, here in Alberta, or anywhere across Canada, anywhere around the world, it's very possible that you can get more information on a school that you're interested in. Uh, You just need to seek them out online, and uh, a lot of them are probably offering virtual open houses right now. Oh, yeah. Things being as they are. Gestures wildly at the whole world. Yeah, so uh, definitely check that out, even if you're not local. Definitely check out your local school board, see what they're offering. Um, you can also, while you're online, check out the Alberta Podcast Network website, albertapodcastnetwork.com. Definitely find a bunch of other wonderful podcasts worth a, checking out. A, a vast array of podcastery. You can download those podcasts on your podcatcher of choice. That's probably where you're getting our podcast. Ooh. Yeah, probably. You could give us a little a little uh, rating and review. Oh, wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. Let's we, do it. We could then thank you on social media, if you told us via social media. Uh, absolutely. Uh, we are available on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Goodreads. We are at The Read Along on most of them. Yeah, you can also get a hold of us via email. Yes, we are thereadalong at gmail.com. And with that said, as always... As I said before, we love you very much, and we'll see you next time. Gently dismount from your dragons. Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. All read along music is by Kevin McLeod and Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along and check out our group on Goodreads.com. Goodreads.com.